Hello friends, welcome to Now with Fiona, the podcast where we explore rather direct questions about the LGBTQ community that many people are just too afraid to ask. Hello my lovely listener, it's me your auntie Fiona. I'm delighted to be here again with yet another formidable guest. Archie Perez is a first generation immigrant and Texan, which I also happen to be. We're both extremely passionate about all people in our great state having full dignity, which calls Audrey to specifically advocate for trans people, trans kids, and all those who love them to exist and thrive. Here in Texas, while 70% of us believe that discrimination against LGBTQ plus people is wrong, our current politicians at the time of recording this episode are using their lives as bait for their voters. I won't get into all of that now. We must get back to Audrey. I was deeply inspired when I heard Audrey speak on the steps of the Texas Capitol in early 2022, when abortion was practically outlawed in our state. Their personal story and the work they do is remarkable. Audrey is a lifelong El Pasoan, UTEP graduate and policy and advocacy strategist for the ACLU of Texas, where they lead the LGBTQIA team. Also, Audrey uses their intersectional experience as a native fronterie sex, queer educator, abortion storyteller, and transgender non-binary person to advocate for a number of issues, including raising funds to pay bonds for people in immigration detention and starting the first abortion fund in West Texas called West Fund. Audrey has received a number of awards, including from the League of Women Voters of El Paso, the El Paso Queer Bar Association, and the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Award. So I am just thrilled that Audrey is here with me today. So welcome, Audrey. How are you? I'm good after that wonderful intro. Thank you so much for having me. You have done so much in your life, and I know that there is so much more to come because you're still early-ish in your career. And I just was thrilled like reading everything that you've been involved in it's just wonderful i can hardly believe it myself it's exciting to know that there's 30 more years ahead of me at least <laughs> to, to see what change i can bring about in texas and in the country at least yeah and who's counting right i think i've stopped counting my years and i'm just grateful for every day that I, that i'm here to do something <laughs> I feel that deeply and I still feel so, so motivated to use the time that I have on this earth as best as I can to make an impact in as many people's lives as I can. Well, you're doing a great job and I am very excited to hear your reply to this very cheeky question from a chapter in my book. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> so the question is, is being non-binary just cool these days? I mean, I think it is very cool to be non-binary is the thing, right? Yes, it's extremely cool. Yeah, so I think that queer people and trans people are the best people to be around personally because we have all had to do this very deep introspection work to know who we are in a world that is constantly trying to erase who we truly are. So we reach a point where we are very sure of that identity in a way that I have not seen as common in people who have not had to undergo that experience because their identities are validated by their their surrounding environment. And so is being non-binary cool, returning to the question, I mean, I think it is, right? Because it is exceptionally cool to know yourself as a person in and out and to be 
confident enough to assert that in a world that is trying to erase you, particularly at this political moment. I am finger snapping everything that you're saying here, because this is something that I learned when I was working on my previous films, like Trans Military and Transgender at War and in Love. And I'm a cisgender, bisexual woman who advocates as best as I can for the trans plus community. And I just learned so much forming deep friendships with my service members who are transgender and realizing that that deep level, as you say, that deep level of sense that you have to go inward to really consider who you are as a person. You know, I believe that we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. And unfortunately, these human buckets have been imposed upon us. But when you have the courage to break away and realize, actually, that external world, that external society that's telling me this is who I am, they're completely wrong. (laughs) And this is who I am. And then having the courage to come out in that way. So I would love to know a little bit more about your personal journey and story when you quote unquote came out or when you chose to reject the labels that society had given you, was non-binary the label that immediately felt right for you? How did, how did you come to realize that that was your label? So yeah, <laughs> actually when I came out on October, I think it was October 9th, the day before National Coming Out Day, I came out on Tumblr oh. to a select group of friends, both in real life and, and online that, that were following me at the time and I I came out as queer and as non-binary and I I cut off all my hair and said, this is what I'm gonna do because it it more closely fits with my gender identity as I know it. And it just came out blazing, really, (laughs) um, asserting my identity and refusing to have anybody tell me otherwise about who I should or should not be. But I knew from the moment I was a kid, I think I always felt like the gender that my mother in particular was trying to impose on me was not the gender that I identified with. I had questions as a young kid about why I couldn't participate in Boy Scouts and why I had to go to Girl Scouts (laughs) and eventually stopped going altogether because I didn't want to belong to a group that I didn't identify with when I was young. In middle school, when puberty started, I struggled quite a bit with my mental health, and I'm lucky to have found an online community at that time that affirmed LGBTQIA identities and to have had interests at that time with celebrities and musicians in the media pushing back against the marriage bans and the license to discriminate bills that were floating around in California even at that time, right, with Prop 8. I have seen throughout my time the the country change its views on LGBTQIA identities, but also people directly in my life change their views on those identities. While all of this was happening, I was in Catholic school. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, we've got that bit in common then too. <laughs> so I was in Catholic school from fourth grade to senior year of high school when I came out as non-binary and LGBTQ. And even in those spaces, I am lucky, I think, um, to have faced a significant amount of less discrimination than some of my classmates did. And I think that part of that was always my willingness to engage in difficult conversations with people who did not quite understand where I was coming from and to have some, some empathy for them that in turn, I think, allowed them to have a lot of empathy and compassion to expand their worldview for me. Mm-hmm. 
I certainly did not have family support, just to set the record straight. I had support of some teachers in school when I was in high school, for sure. Oh. Um, and some other adults in my life. But I, my family was probably the one, who, the ones who reacted the absolute worst to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that you had that experience. And thank goodness for those teachers. Teachers have such an impact as well, don't they? Because you, at that age, you're going to school more than you are at home. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the point that you're, you were about to get to, right, is that right now, kid, LGBTQIA kids in schools, especially in Texas, are facing an onslaught of attacks from the religious right, trying to take away any protections that exist. Just today, there's going to be a school board hearing where there's a, a teacher that doesn't want to respect a kid's name and pronouns and so he wants to appeal to the school board to allow him to continue to disrespect that kid but because that school district is blessed enough to have a policy that says that that is bullying and harassment that kid has protections right now thank god and a school board of teachers and principals that are willing to go to bat for that child but like i mentioned before we i work now with teachers and students probably more than i ever anticipated doing so in the lgbtqia rights space in texas and the thing that we routinely try to emphasize is that one good teacher can save a thousand kids' lives and give them the courage and the bravery and the support and the validation in seeing them to keep them going, to get them out of that school, to maybe get them out of a household that is not affirming, but to keep them alive through high school and through the rest of their lives. And that support to me from two adults, I'm going to name them Miss Barton and Patty Valdez Harrison. Those were the two adults who really kept me believing that an adult would be able to see me in my true identity and as my whole self. That helped get me through school in a way that I return to routinely now. What solutions or guidance would you offer teachers that could be listening to this or people who are responsible for taking care of kids, like what do you offer them to help them embrace fully their LGBTQ plus students? And I mean, there are a number of resources that are available. We ourselves have a school's student rights hub on our website at the ACLU of Texas uh, with a number of resources to help teachers. It's easy to Google, but I think it's also it just comes down to such a simple phrase, which is to say, I see you and I hear you. So if a student requests pronouns that are different from the ones that they were assigned, what does the teacher say and do? It really depends on each school district what the policy is. And there are a number of different teachers unions across the country that can offer support and guidance. Here in Texas, our teachers union provides guidance and asserts that in every case, a student's pronouns should be respected as they see themselves, because to do otherwise is discrimination on the basis of, of sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my immediate response was going to be, say, okay, and then use them from then on, right? <laughs> Can it be as simple as that? <laughs> like yeah, it is as simple as that, is the thing, right? It's basic human respect. If you go into an environment where somebody is using the incorrect name for you, one that you do not identify with, and using the wrong pronouns, it's a kind of a bizarre experience, right? <laughs> but for LGBTQ kids who face an increased risk for discrimination, for bullying, for harassment, and who tend to have a more difficult time in schools, it can feel like the weight of the world is crushing down on you. But to have somebody respect your name and respect your pronouns and give you that affirmation, 
that is the validation I think that we all seek in our lives, right? From the people who, who are around us. And it is that validation that, I, that we can extend to each other and on a constant basis that makes living through this world all the more bearable and enjoyable. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to the coolness of being non-binary because one of the discussions in mainstream media is the fact that younger generations are coming out as trans or non-binary way more. Pew Research this year found that 5% of young adults identify as trans and non-binary. And so there's this rather strange train of thought that then thinks, oh, the, the kids just think that this is what's cool these days and they don't actually have this identity, but it's just kind of like a trending thing. I, I don't actually think that that's true. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I, I have to agree with you, right? I don't think it's true. I think that in the same way that I've seen the world change through my life to become more affirming and more accepting, it is that same reason that we are now seeing more and more people feeling comfortable to be who they are in this world. So when I came out, I was the only non-binary person that I knew. I did not know anyone who was trans in my community. And I had to do a lot of basic trans 101 education for the folks around me so that they could understand what these things meant. But since I've come out, there have been classmates that I was with in, in elementary school and in high school who have reached out to me and said that because they were able to witness me on my journey, they realized that they were also trans or non-binary and I gave them the courage to be able to come out and be who they are. Yeah. Coming out is so important because it's a, a way to connect with others and like see your own experience in somebody else's. One of the things that I write about in the book on this chapter is how actually it's always been quote unquote cool, as we were saying earlier, because it's a journey of self-discovery and that before colonization, there were never these two different buckets for gender. You know, indigenous peoples that were already living on this land had five or more kind of, I don't even want to say labels, but understandings of gender, you know, and so for thousands of years, gender hasn't been this social construct that came in a few hundred years ago, you know, with colonists that came and took over the land. And so I feel that this is a really exciting time in some ways where we're actually uncovering layers of who we always were in the first place. And I also want to acknowledge and respect two-spirit people who have always lived on this land as well beforehand. So what's, what's your experience with that? And how do you relate in some way to to two-spirit identity. Yeah, so my family has lived on the same land for centuries in Mexico, northern Mexico region, about three hours south of El Paso. It was my mom, really, and my dad who first migrated a little bit up north and then eventually to El Paso because they believed in the promise of this country, right? That this land would give me a better education and a better quality of life and that I would be able to one day be a homeowner. <laughs> Um, which we know that is now very possible to How's achieve. How's going? <laughs> yeah. Not very well. I do. <laughs> it's okay. I live in a camper. It's much better. You know, that might be what I end up doing, you know? So my parents came to this country because they believed fervently in that American dream and that American promise. And I lived a lot of my life trying to aspire to that goal of, of being the perfect first-generation immigrant 
child, the first person in my family to go to college and achieve higher than a middle school education, the first person in my family to buy a car and to have like a good credit score, all of these metrics that this country uses to deem you worthy of a, of a higher quality of life, right? All the things, yeah. And that becomes more difficult when you come out as LGBTQ. And I think my family understood that very deeply. But my family also understood that the conditions for that only exist because of colonization. And I'm very grateful that my family had that like worldview already built in. But it's because I have grandparents who are indigenous to Mexico, right? I have great grandparents who are indigenous to Mexico. I have an indigenous lineage before we came to this country. And when I was able to have those conversations with my parents in that way, I think they they opened their hearts up to LGBTQIA people in this country and understood that what that the discrimination and the harassment and the bullying and the lack of explicit rights was unjust and just another product of, of colonization. I mentioned that I went to Catholic school for several years and so I my parents are still Catholic and I moved away from the church in some ways and sought out a different form of spirituality. And so I practiced Danza Azteca, um, which is a religious and a spiritual practice that is rooted in the decolonization and the reconnecting with our indigenous ancestors and practices and praying to creator, not necessarily a God, but just creator, right? And being thankful for being in community with the land and with all the living creatures so when I joined that community, um, I was very nervous about coming out as trans, actually, um, to them. And I, I did not know how that would be received. And it, when I did come out, they were like, duh, you're welcome here. There are two spirit people. <laughs> and they're in our community, we call them two star people. But here we believe that you are a special being because you're able to channel both that masculine and feminine energy and something beyond that in our community you are going like a fire keeper you are a medicine keeper you are somebody who is holy and revered and we are grateful to have you in our presence and as part of our practice and that affirmation i think was very healing for me coming from the catholic church that comes from a long history of colonization and exploitation imposes a lot of harm to people to this day in the state of texas right it is a mobilization of, of the catholic church that the Republican right deemed necessary to win elections in the 1980s and has led now to the banning of abortion, not only in Texas, but across the country, with the exception of a few select states who explicitly protect it. And it is also the church in that way that is now being leveraged to try to ban gender affirming care. And when you mentioned the gender binary and colonization, all of this was really about control. Because the opposite of control is trust, right? So if we trust people to make decisions over their bodies, to tell us who they are and believe them, we lose control over society, quote unquote, or at least that is what some folks are having us believe. But a society that is rooted in trusting our human experiences and in loving the differences that exist among us is not one that is rooted in control, right? We can't have love with control. We can't have trust with control. And so it is about deciding whether or not we want this authoritarian government that is going to reach into our homes and into our bodies to tell us what we can do with our lives or if we're going to pivot to one that is centered in that trust and that love. I love the idea of 
living in a society where everything is just released and let go and we don't have these controlling aspects. And one of the things that you said here is you can't have love if you have control. And that sentence is really resonating with me. And I have faith that we can create a society and a world that is centered in love. I believe that love always exists and is always there, but there are things that are hiding it or covering it. And one of those is this like level of fear that is ignited with this control. If you could ignite one thing to happen in society to change that and to reveal the love and to decrease the fear, what would your solution for that be? I I feel like that's the eternal question at the forefront of my mind every day, right? Is what is it going to take to live in a world where we fully see and affirm everybody simply on the basis of being human? And what is it going to take to see each other as worthy of existing in this world simply because they are human? And to extend the same rights that some people believe they're deserving of to other people who might be different from them. And I, and part of eradicating fear, right, is that education piece. And so when it comes to the LGBTQ community in my life, I've seen a lack of education for LGBTQ community. And that lack of education creates a gap where you can fill it with intentional disinformation that propagates misinformation in the community. And that is what exacerbates the fear Right? But until we see LGBTQ people reflected in our histories, until we believe that those identities are important to name and to hold in every space that we enter, we are going to continue to see that disinformation and misinformation and lack of information create fear because it creates an unfamiliarity with LGBTQIA people. I spend all day thinking about these things as a thing, right? And it, it is the fear that propels people to action. It is that scarcity mindset that I think the conservative right movement uses, not only when it comes to LGBTQIA people, when it comes to immigration as well, right? We see that being leveraged against communities that are intentionally oppressed to say that if we create room for them, there won't be enough room for you. And that propels people into a space where they think that they need to fight to hold things as they are, otherwise they will lose something. But if we accept more people into our lives and into our worldviews, that only expands our capacity again to love and for empathy and for greater understanding and for a society that values human rights on the basis of human existence. Yeah. I actually see that scarcity mindset amongst people of other political persuasions as well, you know, not just on the right, but on all sides and in the middle and everywhere else. I would rather turn that mindset into one of abundance rather than scarcity. I have a daily meditation practice that has really made a huge difference in my life after the last few years. And the more you meditate and the more you get to meet other people who meditate, I feel like you start to tap into that core of love and that spirituality within you and you can slowly start to change the mind like change the monkey mind from scarcity to abundance 
and feel the love and the spirit inside and just like let go and realize that it's just society that's like trying to tell you that you should do this and you should do that. And these people are going to take this from me or they're going to take that from me and there's not enough. And it's like, all of that is just one great big social construct. And I think meditation helps us get there. Absolutely. And I, I think it also comes down to an issue of, of class and, and corporations that we see rising to absurd amounts of wealth accumulation that is robbing from everybody underneath them, right? Jeff Bezos makes more in an hour than I'm ever going to make in my lifetime. And I think that those are the people who we really need to be targeting for <laughs> hoarding too much, right? <laughs> Not fighting amongst ourselves yeah. about who has more and who doesn't. There are visible people in this world who have a little bit too much, right? And I think society would benefit as a whole if we analyzed that structure more critically and advocated for people at all levels to be able to have what they need to survive and thrive, not just LGBTQ people, but with a particular focus on the Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities that have suffered the most from that wealth accumulation. And as you mentioned, I think in, in your intro, right, slavery was a precursor to capitalism as we know it today, because it is the exploitation of workers for benefit and wealth accumulation of a very small portion of the overall population. Mm -hmm. I see this mountain of wealth. I imagine like these big shiny gold coins and all these coins though, they're love coins. And so instead of hanging on to all the love coins and keeping the love coins yourself, you should like take the love coins and like share them evenly throughout the world so we can all have that, that love energy. <laughs> you know, and I think that the world got a preview of what a society could look like when we prioritize taking care of each other because of the pandemic, because of the 2021 freeze in Texas, right? Yeah. Both of those events, I think, forced people to become more aware of mutual aid networks of support and the necessity of them in taking care of each other when our government intentionally fails to take care of us and it in fact exacerbates that lack of care in order to win elections. And that is just so Anti antithetical to human rights that I, I sometimes can't understand it, but it, it is fundamentally what's happening. And it's an example of how love and caring for each other is there and does exist, which wants me to go on to our Lionheart story because I am so excited to hear your Lionheart story. So I believe Lionhearts are people who are showing kindness and courage. What experiences of kindness and courage from the LGBTQ plus community have you seen and heard? or experience. Yeah, so the story that I wanted to share for this particular prompt starts with me in fourth grade. <laughs> and that is when my parents put me into a Catholic school. And as part of that Catholic school, all of the kids from the Catholic schools in my hometown, at least the girls, right? They go to this summer camp called Club 44 in El Paso. And that summer camp is run by the high school that I later went on to. So I started in this summer camp as a camper, a little 10-year-old me. I was probably about four feet tall at most. And I went through the multiple different stages of leadership. So you start as a camper, you become a junior counselor when you're in middle school, and then you become a counselor when you're in high school. And when I was a senior, I became the camp co-director because I was so good. And my camp co-director throughout that entire time, from the time I was 10 to the time I was 18, her name is Patty. She was one of the adults in my life that I think helped me believe 
that things would get better and that I just had to hold on until I established some independence and stability for myself. And who helped me do that really by giving me a job at the summer camp. And so I was the co-director for, for about two years up until I was 21. And when I was 21, I is when I began my, my medical transition. And so I started taking hormones. My voice dropped down to what you hear now almost immediately. But because it was an all-girl summer camp, I couldn't be the co-director anymore, and I got fired. Oh, no. I think this was in 2014. So it was yeah. four years before, four or five years before the Bostock decision that made it illegal to discriminate in a, in a place of employment against transgender people. Yeah. But I would still come back and visit some summers because I loved Patty, and I loved her two kids. I had grown up with them. I had seen her when she was pregnant with them. I had taken care of them when they were babies at the summer camp. We had gone on trips together. And so long story short, we still stayed friends. We stayed in contact. And this past year, I'm lucky to to announce, I was the grand marshal of pride in my hometown, which was very exciting. And when I traveled back for the parade, Patty came out with her husband and her two kids, the same kids that I had grown up with. The youngest one, whose name I won't mention here, came up to me and gave me a bandana and told me, thank you for fighting for kids like me. And Patty explained to me that her kid was non-binary and had been expressing these feelings to her for several months now. And Patty, who never like gets teary-eyed at all, really like laughs through things and is a very joyful person. I'm very grateful for it teared up a little bit and said thank you and apologized to me for what had happened. Essentially, it was just, I got fired from my job, right? I lost this connection to this community that I loved so much. But apologized to me and said thank you because without me, she wouldn't have known how to react in that moment. But because of me, she did. And now that kid has a really affirming and loving family, at least nine or 10 now. It's a lot of work and years and time that had to pass by in order to create that affirming family for that one kid, right? And I know that effects of that will ripple beyond that one family, but this work is hard. It's not easy. And sometimes that can feel very daunting when you're in it because I'm trans, right? I'm trans. I don't know how much more time I have, how much more time kids have in schools right now who feel that they are non-binary or transgender to waste on this debate about whether or not we are allowed to exist as who we are in this world, about whether or not it's okay to discriminate against us. It's not. Whereas trans and non-binary people have actually existed since humans have existed. I mean, right, we've been here all along. So the first documented history of an instance of people helping, of doctors helping transgender people through gender dysphoria is from the 1930s in Germany. And when the Nazis first started their crusade in Germany, the very first thing that they did was burn that institute and all of its documented records to the ground. As a way of control. Yeah. And so when we're talking about trans history and trans medical care as something that is experimental or new, we actually have nearly a century of medical history documenting medical treatments for transgender people. Mm-hmm. And to going back to the the camp director that had to that fired you, do you see that they showed kindness and courage in coming to a place where they could embrace their kid differently to how they would have embraced them like years before? 
You know, I, I, I like the words that you used and I just want to call that out, right? Because what people tell me most often is that they admire my resilience and that they don't know how I do it. That's not what it is. It's not resilience, certainly, right? It is a willingness to be courageous in the face of adversity. But what I do try to remind people of is that it's not that resilience. It is a willingness to be courageous. And what I need more people to be willing to do is to be brave and be courageous with me. Yeah. And the way that that kid is now starting puberty blockers, um, I think soon, or at least went to a doctor to be able to start that soon. And it is just so incredible to see that support happening and to know that I was a part of making that possible. But it is ultimately all on that family for being willing to be courageous in a, in an adverse environment to transgender people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Before we wrap up, Audrey, just where can people find you? Where can people reach out? Well, for now, I work at the ACLU of Texas and you can find me on that website. My social media handles forever and always will be Adri Perez TX um, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm really trying hard to like be a stronger advocate and use those platforms, right, for sharing and for creating change. I post and share a lot of petitions and ways to get involved, ways to donate to trans people and their mutual aid funds. I believe in that quite a bit. But I also believe in the power of just being myself on the internet and existing as my full self, not just as this like fragmented bit that's always advocating for things that is core and central to my identity, but I'm also a person in other ways. And I think that witnessing trans people just be people is equally powerful as well. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on to share your knowledge and experience and expertise. Thank you so much for all the kindness and courage that you're exuding into the world. And I can't wait to see you again soon. So take care and lots of love. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please go to nowwithfiona.com for more information, resources and ways to help. Big shouts of gratitude to West One Music Group for our fantastic signature tune and to our amazing executive producer, Mindy Raymond. Be happy, remember to love always and let your lion heart roar. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.